Right. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome back to The Gateway Presents. My name is Andrew McQuinney. I'm the opinion editor here at The Gateway, the University of Alberta's official student media source. And I have uh, two of my two uh, students from U of A as well with me. Uh, if you want to introduce yourselves. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Christine McManus. I volunteer with um, the Gateway's Opinion section, and I am in my third year of a psych degree minoring in sociology and English. Hi, I'm Bree Mickeljohn. I'm in my first year, uh, and I'm also a volunteer with the Gateway and Opinion section. I'm in a classics program with a minor in creative writing. Excellent. Thanks you both for coming on today. Yeah. yeah. So the topic of discussion today, Ted Bundy. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, as most people would have known, there's been a huge um, kind of blow up in a lot of Ted Bundy content. There's been a cool documentary released on kind of Ted Bundy, who he was. Um, And for people who don't know... Uh, Yeah, so Ted Bundy was um, an American serial killer. And and I think um, one of the reasons why... Like the part of the reason why he's so well known is because of like how good looking and charming he is. Mm. And that was how he like got a lot of his victims because he would like either pretend to be somebody who was lost in need of help. And I believe um, one of the other tactics he used was like pretending to like um, be disabled. So he would need help getting into his car. And that's how he would get people to get close to him. So that's like. Um, the big reason why he's so well known is because he was so charming and he acted so um, disarming. So yeah, there was that fa- fascination with that Ted Bundy character and a lot of those characteristics there of that charisma. So there's been that documentary released on him and there's going to be a biopic as well where they've casted um, hot man Zac Efron uh, in the position of Ted Bundy, which is for a lot of people, I think, riling some feathers. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, yeah, I think a lot of people are kind of raising eyebrows at like, you know, the idea of um, Zac Efron, who everybody basically knows as like, you know, the wholesome guy from High School Musical playing this like deranged serial killer um, and about kind of what that says about the way that we perceive serial killers and the way that we perceive like men in general who commit these kinds of atrocities and do these terrible things. I think that's where a lot of that backlash is coming from. It was interesting that um, you mentioned High School Musical, like, because people have this <laughs> association. But on a similar note, I don't remember his name, but the guy who played Austin from Austin Alley, like that Disney show from yeah. way back when, yeah. he was also cast to play Jeffrey Dahmer in, oh. like, in like a, a recent movie. And, I like, there was that. nothing about that. So I'm just wondering what's the mm-hmm. disconnect between people getting super upset about Zac Efron versus this other Disney star that got cast in a similar role and no one really batted an eye or anything. Yeah, I don't know why um, Zac Efron in particular is getting this backlash, like maybe because like High School Musical was like such a big phenomenon and um, he was the star of that, maybe because Ted Bundy in particular is, um, as I mentioned, like famous for being very um, attractive and very disarming. And this is sort of, you know, reinforcing that image that people have of him and that like, you know, makes him so alluring to, um, to other people. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of allurement in the people, I believe, a lot of their the danger that they feel around that allurement is that we're kind of normalizing perhaps violence against women or that kind of romanticization of somebody who did some really awful things. Do you have any idea of kind of how prevalent this kind of stuff is in culture? Because to my understanding, like from I think what a lot of the discourse around that I've seen uh, around the Ted Bundy thing has really brought out a lot of like people being like, oh, yeah, do, do you guys recognize this is not part of like a larger problem that we haven't seen before? Hmm. OK, well, I mean, as far as the phenomenon of people, particularly women, being attracted to serial killers goes, I think that that is still like a relatively fringe thing. Like there are like, you know, online communities on Tumblr and Twitter for that. You know, there are always um, like groups of women after, you know, serial killers become super famous who decided that they are attracted to them and send them proposals and love letters 
and stuff like that. But I think that like the serial killer thing in particular is still a pretty fringe thing. But I think it might speak to a larger phenomenon in society um, about excusing men who do, you know, these like these really terrible things. And like it's not always serial killing. It can be like, you know, smaller things, too. Like, you know, like up until recently, you know, sexual assault and things like that weren't taken all that seriously. And that's only just starting to become more widely recognized now. So to me, that's what that is a bigger indication of. Yeah, absolutely. Because like pulling back to that point, there was, again, that documentary series on R. Kelly that came out really recently. Yeah. spoke a lot of his survivors. And I mean, people knew, I think, for a while that R. Kelly had done some very questionable things where like had been just trying to distance themselves from R. Kelly. But even then, still having people who were still flabbergasted and kind of like still defending R. Kelly, I saw, like, and that was a fringe group, but we still saw kind of that like, oh, he was an amazing artist. It's fine. Why are we like leveling all this on him kind of thing? So yeah, I think yeah. it does speak to that kind of like crossover. Um, or you can see that in different parts of media as well. Well, just like, on the subject of like the attractiveness of like serial killers because yeah. you're right it's not yeah. something you want to like scream out to the world like hey serial killers <laughs> get me hot but like there was a topic that came up in one of my women's studies class which was like the idea that most sexual assault happens by like someone in a white van pulling up and like grabbing you right. when that doesn't yeah. it's more likely to be somebody that like you know and are close to and like that is the reality that with Ted Bundy especially because he was so charismatic and pretty good looking no one really suspected him that can be a problem because that is just how we judge based on appearances, right? Yeah. So if someone's attractive, we're not likely to think, you know what, mm, they might murder me in my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like, you know, I think the stereotypical image that we have of like, you know, a creepy guy mm -hmm. is still a very unattractive guy. Like most people tend to think of like, you know, guys who like live in their mob's basements and never see the daylight and like they aren't very well groomed or well dressed. And uh, that's who people tend to think of when they think of men who like do these kinds of things to women or who get off on that. But in reality, like a sexual predator can look like anything. Yeah. So there's this author. OK, so her name is Sheila Eisenberg, and she's the author of Women Who Love Men Who Kill. And uh, she wrote this book as kind of like, you know, a way of studying why um, like the wives or girlfriends of serial killers who like, you know, find them after they have been, you know, convicted or have been put on trial, like, you know, who are intentionally seeking out these men, uh, why they do it and like what they're getting out of it. So according to her, there seem to be um, like a couple different like groups of women based on different motivations. So like the two most common are either A, um, the women who believe that that they see, you know, the true side of who this man is, that like he's not the monster that everyone thinks he is, or even if he is, that, that they think that, you know, he has like, you know, the secret compassionate side that nobody's yet unearthed and they can somehow change him or heal him. And then the other type of, you know, woman who tends to go after men like this is the woman who wants to share his notoriety. So she knows that that if the newspapers are writing about this man, then they just might write about her too. Yeah, so those are the two major groups that she identified. And then within um, the group that thinks, you know, that they can change him, a fair amount of those women actually came from um, abusive homes and like really bad upbringings. 
And so part of the appeal is that, um, you know, if your boyfriend or husband is in prison, A, he can't hurt you because he's being watched at all times. And B, uh, because he doesn't really have anything else going for him. Like all he thinks about is you. So a lot of these serial killers and criminals tend to like shower their wives and girlfriends with affection whenever they come to visit because who else do they have? So I think like all those things are what make it so appealing to women who do want to be with these men. Well, yeah, it's interesting. I've seen... um... Another related topic and another kind of group of people that I think are like some violence against when it gets normalized and stuff like in the incels community and stuff online mm-hmm. um, that's becoming bigger and coming into prevalence. There was, um, I think a lot of times in the first discourse around Elliot Roger, who was the man who went around and did like a mass killing right. at UCLA. Yeah. There was lots of stuff after the fact. I mean, of course, a lot of people, and rightfully so, said his actions were deplorable. But there was also, again, I think there also still like small group of people who were like, oh, you know, if X had happened to people that actually cared and realized he was okay, like we could have changed him. There was some like compassionate side, yeah. right? So, yeah, I can see that kind of also reflected in some of the other discourses that were around. Well, and I remember that for a while that that was a theme after after school shootings, particularly, I think it was um, the Parkland shooting of like, like organizations and school administrators promoting the idea of like, you know, approaching your classmates and talking to them if they seem lonely as a way of preventing um, mass shootings. And that was really heavily criticized by a lot of people because in a way it's kind of saying like, hey, you'd better be nice to these lonely people because if you aren't, they might just kill you. And it's your fault if you don't talk to them. Well, and I also had friends in high school who were just like, just naturally kind of solitary people. They just didn't want to be around a lot of other yeah. people because yeah. the, just how they were. And they weren't violent or anything. That's just they like being alone. So, yeah, I understand the criticism to that because it's it, it kind of promotes the idea that, like, you're uh, responsible for for somebody not taking violence against you, which is kind of a of like a subset of like a victim blaming as narratives that just seem yeah, not cool. It definitely is. And um, that's still all too common in um, in our culture. And in fact, ooh, I think at one point I even saw, you know, people will also say um, like and, and this happened with Elliot Roger, but this also happened with with other, you know, serial killers, whether they were incels or not. Like people would talk about how the women who rejected them, if that was a factor, um, should have like given them a chance or should have done something differently or like should have like, you know, seen this coming. It kind of, you know, sometimes seems like no matter what we do, like we sort of just can't win. Like we shouldn't trust the wrong men because they might turn out to be serial killers. But at the same time, we should always make ourselves emotionally available to men or they might turn into serial killers. So it's like, how do you prevent serial killers if, you know, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, essentially? Just, uh, yeah. I, I had mentioned you and, like, how popular I gotten on Netflix and I, like, binged right. all of it in one weekend. Yeah. Because it's essentially about a guy who becomes infatuated with a grad student and then proceeds to stalk her and, like, hack her phone and everything and spoilers he kills her ex-boyfriend and um her best friend but he rationalizes like these people are bad for you and they were bad in your life and like we needed to get rid of them but in some of the discourse about the show people had been arguing like this is a cautionary tale for women to keep all of your stuff um not online um because that's how he found it and so um because like the the girl that he was stalking like she didn't have any passwords on her uh instagram or anything like that and so people were saying well this is what happens when 
you put too much online and like you don't lock down your Instagram or your Facebook. And the creator of the show went on record saying, no, (laughs) that's not what this is about at all. It's just about how technology has made it very easy for people to kind of like snoop into your room, but it wasn't targeted like just towards women and also how good looking people can do bad things <laughs> is what yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah, like, you know, sometimes the people you would least suspect are the ones who are, in fact, the most dangerous. Yeah. yeah, no. And I think I remember I saw this other post about about one of the people, you know, who worked on the show and about how like when she was originally reading um, the book that it's based on, how like it took her, you know, like getting, um, you know, like a fair amount into the book, like over halfway for her to realize that like consciously or not she was choosing to root for the villain of the story and she said that a big part of the reason why was because the story was being presented from his point of view and you have to like you know be able to step back and look at the story critically and realize that he's you know an unreliable narrator his his like perception of himself is not it's not very reflective of reality but the fact that in the story he is the one controlling the narrative i think is um is quite powerful so i think that um, when we're talking about issues like this, um, it's important to um, consider like who we're putting at the forefront of the narrative and um, who who I guess is being allowed to um, say like you know what these stories are about or like who these people are because I think that can also have a very profound impact on how we perceive them and whether or not we're likely to sympathize with them. And I think a lot of that centering, like around that character, telling things from that like unreliable narrator point of view and getting them having that like again centering where you're like, oh, we're focusing on Ted Bundy. We're not focusing as strongly on all heroes, all the women he killed and did horrible things to. Here's the main character from you told from his perspective. He's the protagonist. We we still maybe probably get much more of like the character that he's chasing after more so than Ted Bundy's victims. Mm -hmm. But we're still getting less from her point of view, right? We don't have a lot of that point of view necessarily. And I think a lot of like popular culture and a lot of stuff necessarily from like the victim's point of view, right? Like there's some kind of like enigmatic focus. There's this aura around these kind of like characters, again, that alluring character that we have. Why are we moved to like go this way? So yeah, is it a matter of framing? Is it a way just like, are there other things that like lead people to read into things despite the framing kind of trying to move them away from those readings? Yeah, Yeah, that mediation is really tough. So then do you think it was a bad idea for them to do kind of more of Ted Bundy's perspective rather than the women that he did horrible things to because they have put it at his perspective and like casting super attractive guy Zac Efron like is there a possibility that like because they frame it from his story like the people who see it is there a greater chance that we might get more people who become infatuated with him in the bad way like you like the the women who have things for serial killers like are we enabling that by focusing on him rather than his victims are we doing the victims a disservice by focusing on the perpetrator of the crimes against them yeah, no, I think that's definitely um, an important question to um, to consider whenever we're, um, you know, thinking about creating or consuming media about, you know, the people who did these things. Because often either if the killer is being covered in some kind of fictional story or in like a story that's meant to be like more documentary in nature, I think a lot of the time the victims are kind of just like used as more of an emotional impact thing for the audience, if that makes sense. Their suffering is it's touched upon, but it's either for for shock value or to like um, or to like, you know, instill like a sense of like 
great fear and disgust for for the killer, but it's always centered around the killer. It's not really about about them. No, absolutely. Yeah, they become kind of like often like it's tokenized and used in those ways. It's like almost in a lot of ways, even in documentaries, plot devices and like and like that's a very like dehumanizing way to put it. But I also think is like very true. It may be a little more nuanced than necessarily calling them straight up plot devices. And I think some documentaries probably do a better job than others and some media do better job than others of like portraying these women as agents and as actually having like a purpose and like an interiority and we're not just focusing on the interiority of the serial killer but I think that's a big thing like we end up a lot of that I think appeal and the allure of these serial killers is we're just like so we so want to get into their heads and just know the thought process because it's so alien to us so we really want to like have a focus where we're like I just want to try our best to get into this head and explore this but like again yeah there's that expense that comes with focusing on wanting to get and have that desire to know this person fully when is it totally necessary to know this person fully when like he ended up doing the things that he did because like some people would say yes maybe because it's easier for you to prevent stuff like this going forward like maybe a pragmatic approach to that but I also think that like where do you draw the line between like there was the individual person versus all like and like their motivations and their mind versus like other outlying social factors or anything else there too uh so just as a closing thing that was a great discussion um if people or if there was going to be a kind of serial killer bio- biopic if there was gonna be a serial killer documentary uh what kind of changes in the way uh that it's framed or the way that it's told would you like to see maybe that would challenge maybe the way that it's done now and some of the problematic stuff that comes out with it I think that one of the things I would like to change is maybe showing less of like, you know, the actual like violent bloodiness on screen, not to like take away from the fact that this terrible thing is happening. But you can tell stories about um, people experiencing trauma without turning that trauma into, you know, something to be used for shock value and while still like, you know, allowing them dignity. Because I do think that it can be kind of exploitative when people use other people's trauma to create art that they think will be more compelling. So that is one thing that I would definitely change. And um, I also think that if you're going to make a film about somebody who either has like, you know, a clinically diagnosed uh, mental illness or would at least fit the criteria that you should be, you know, doing research and getting information from from primary sources about how these disorders work and all that, because at the same time, you don't want to uh, miseducate the public about what a psychopath really is and about, you know, why serial killers do the things that they do. So those are the two major things that I would say. I would maybe put more emphasis like on the victims and like their lives because you shouldn't necessarily feel sympathy or a lot of sympathy anyway for someone who did something like that. Like we can name Ted Bundy, but can we name any one of his victims? I can't. Yeah. I can't either, no. Yeah. So I think there should be a little bit more emphasis maybe on that. And yeah, just to take more of a like an like objective viewpoint and just like Please don't romanticize the things that he that he did are the biggest ones. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Thank you both for coming on today, talking about Ted Bundy, circular documentaries. Yeah. And how that's framed in the greater society. Thank you both for coming on. Yeah. No, thank you for having us. Thank you.